Howdy folks, welcome to our podcast, American Cowboy in New Zealand. This is Ben Longwell with True West Horsemanship. We're glad you're here. Join us as we share stories and adventures and interview extraordinary men and women in the equine and ranching industries to gain insight into horsemanship and life itself. It is our mission to help people and their horses better understand one another and achieve together that which they cannot do individually. Thanks for riding along with us. Thank you for joining us here today, and I'm super excited to be visiting and catching up with Warwick Schiller. Warwick's in California today, and so we figured out the good time frame for both of us, and I, I haven't caught up with Warwick. I think it's been, oh, maybe a year and a half since he was down here in New Zealand last, and we caught up and had a good good visit, so I'm really looking forward to it and just hearing a little bit more of his story and what he's been working on and, and learning recently. I always enjoy hearing his his philosophies and and how he's been getting on with the horses and with people so without further ado here's our conversation with Warwick. Warwick thank you so much for taking the time to join me today. Hey Ben glad to be here good to see you again. Absolutely it seems a long time since you were down in this part of the world. Well I'm kind of used to going there every year and I didn't get to go uh, last year so yeah that's the first time in I think six years or maybe, no, I'd done, I'd done Equidays, you know, for, I think for the previous five years. And yeah. uh, I think I'd been in New Zealand for a couple of years before that too. So yeah, it's been a while. It has. Since I hadn't been there. Yeah, that's right. I'm trying to remember actually when I met you was at Equidays. I don't know if you remember this, but you were actually one of the judges for the Kaimanawa Stallion Challenge, that wild horse challenge, the first one that we did here. And um, that was when I first met you. I think that was 2014. Yes, that was, yep, yep. That's, that was, I think that might've been the first one I did there. I I think it was. Yeah, I think it was. So just a quick uh, little synopsis, Warwick, of your sort of history and where you come from and, and, uh, and just for if there's just anybody listening who maybe haven't heard of you, I doubt there is, but <laughs> a little bit of a background for us here. Oh, well, the background's not that important. Grew up on a 1,200-acre sheep and wheat farm in Australia. Uh, my dad rodeoed, did all the rough stock events, and then he, well, he did the time events too, but then he phased out the rough stock events and uh, was doing the time events. And you know, in the late 60s, they first started importing quarter horses into Australia. And so, um, you know, he got some of those for, for calf roping and stuff like that. Always had horses around home. And, I, you know, I can't remember when I started riding. But I remember I was in year five, which you would call the fifth grade, being an American. And so I'm 10 years old and I broke my arm at West Wyland Rodeo on the steer ride. And I know I'd been riding horses for two or three years before that. So I'm, I'm guessing about seven, I started riding, I think. Yeah. Yeah. And did you, um, were your interests sort of right into the competition side with the reining and stuff that you ended up getting? Oh, no, no. We started uh, going to pony club and, uh, you know, started learning to ride an English saddle, went to pony club. And then there was some, some like quarter horse shows popping up around near where we lived and so they did you know you did everything every event there was you you took your horse in there so you know there was yeah there was 
you know, the raining didn't look like raining. You went around here and you went around there and you went up there and you came to some sort of a halt and you went back the other way and you came to some sort of a halt and <laughs> somewhere in the middle, you kind of changed directions a little bit, but that's about all it was, you know? Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. It's, it's certainly come a long, a long ways in different parts of the world in that yeah. regard. So, yeah. so on into your teenage years and, and maybe early twenties, what, what did that look like with, with the horses? How did that develop? Um, well, I, I was actually, you know, I was actually quite um, good at math and that sort of stuff. And, you know, growing up in Australia, at least my family kind of, you know, my generation or where I grew up, it's almost like you, life looks like this. You go to school so you can get a job, so you can buy a house, get married, have kids, die. That's about it. And so, you know, there's no, you know, there's no great dreams and plans or whatever. And uh, so I was, um, I remember at school, our, our careers counselor had said, oh, you know, you're really good at math and the local bank is doing, a, you know, some, some tests, some people. And if you, you know, go and try it out. And I was still in the 12th grade and I went and did that. Anyway, I was, I was at home riding around the paddock one day and mum came out of the house. She goes, come up here, come up here. There's a fella from the bank on the phone. And so they offered me a job. So I actually left school and went to work for a bank and worked for a bank for probably six years. Yeah. Um, uh, but then the, you know, the horse bug, I was riding some horses in the meantime, um, got the horse bug and wanted to come to the States for, oh, wanted to go to the States for 12 months and learn. A bit. At that time I was really interested in the reigning horses. And so I came over for 12 months and got a job with a trainer. And uh, during that 12 months met, Robin, who's now my wife, and uh, when I was leaving to go back to Australia, the day I was leaving, you know, with the leaving that place, I, we shook hands on the porch with the guy I was working for, and he said, "So if you want to come back, I'll give you a job because you could do this for a living if you wanted to." And that just kind of half floored me because I, you know, I'd never really had a lot of self confidence, and so I never thought I could be a horse trainer. You know, people would pay me to ride their horses, um, and so he kind of planted a seed there, like. You mean, I, do you think I could do this for a living? Because like I said, didn't have a lot of self-confidence, but I met Robin in the meantime and I was madly in love with her. I chased her like, I chased her around and she ran like a scalded cat, you know, and I never did catch her. And it wasn't until I went back to Australia and, you know, this would be in, pre-internet. Yeah. Uh, it wasn't until I moved back to Australia and, uh, you know, phone calls were expensive. So there was letters written back and forth, but she kind of, it wasn't until I wasn't chasing around, she kind of missed me chasing around. So then the, the, the flavor of the letters, you know, turned a little nicer or whatever. But uh, so I was home for six months and then ended up coming back, went back to work for him. And here we are. I'll be. That is that is quite an interesting story. It's uh, just a, a side note sort of there, but it's interesting how, um, you know, somebody can say something like that to a, a person, a young person or, or anybody. And, and you just don't even know how that might plant a seed of thought or destiny for the future in that person and and sometimes they don't even know what they've really done when they say it yeah well that you know the man was not one to compliment people <laughs> so uh <laughs> you know i knew he was serious about it <laughs> i think i know exactly what you mean there so um 
tell us a little bit more, like uh, just carry on with that, with that history there, Warwick, um, getting into the reigning horse and obviously moving to the States. Did you, did you pretty much move permanently at that point? Is that where you've lived pretty much since then? Uh, well, I came over in 1990 and I was back in Australia for six months, uh, then came back and stayed for a couple of years, went back for, basically just went back for Christmas and then came and got married. So came back and got married. So no, I've really been here. Yeah. We, Robin and I and Tyler moved to Australia at the end of 2006, came back at the end of 2010. So we were there for four years in the meantime. But apart from that, um, we've been here basically since I've been here since 1990. Yeah. Wow. That's neat. That's very neat. Now, um, you've, you've taken that reigning quite, quite a ways. Is that something you're still, still doing quite a bit of competitively or, or are you focusing more on, on horsemanship and teaching, teaching people and whatnot, just sort of fill us in on, on, on that. Uh, I haven't competed since the world equestrian games of 2018. That was probably the last time I will compete in the reigning. I think I, um, you know, I just kind of lost the desire to do it probably because I figured out the reason I was doing it was not the reason I thought I was doing it, you know? And so, um, you know, there's a, there's a fair bit of being concerned about what other people think of you sort of thing in there. And, uh, when I kind of got to where I wasn't that concerned about what other people thought about me, the, the, the idea of competing kind of left with that too. But, you know, the other thing is that the, the reigning is, um, you know, it's hard work for the horses. Yeah. I mean, it's like, uh, you know, it's like say boxing or something or other, you know, if you go into a boxing fight, you can't go in and kind of half do it. I mean, you've, you're putting it all out there. And uh, so every time you show them, it's, it's, you know, they've got to put it out there and, and I'm just, I don't know. I'm just at the point. I don't really want to ask them that much, really, you know, Robin's still competing and she's still kind of on the fence too, but we've got, we've got two horses here now. Um, one's a horse that Robin showed at the water question games in 2018 and he's 17 years old now. And he's, she's still showing him and he's still like, he's fit, looks good. Looks like a six year old. Um, and then she's got a young stallion. He's just turned six, I think. And he is really talented. And so he can do it. You know, Robin shows in the non-pro, so she's not, you know, in the, the big deals. And he he's talented enough to do what she's got to do without him being maxed out. Like he's not, they're not, he's not redlining. So he can kind of do it all day sort of thing. And I don't mind. Yeah. I don't mind helping her with that. Um, she actually bought a new horse. Well, she bought him last year too, but she bought another, a new horse. And uh, we've just sold him because he's, he's won like 30,000 in the rain. And I think he was an open futurity finalist, but he, he's one of those horses that he doesn't really want to do it unless you make him. And you have to be quite strict about things and quite firm with him to get him to do it. And he's not bothered by it at all. Like he's, he's like, yeah, okay, now I'll do it. You know, he's, he doesn't have an, he doesn't have an intimidated look or anything like that, but I'm just not interested in doing that. It just doesn't, doesn't float my boat anymore. I'm not judging anybody who does, but yeah, just where I'm at these days, it just doesn't, yeah, doesn't really, really interest me. Yeah, for sure. For sure. 
but it did for it did for a long time you know and for a long time i thought that was what i wanted to do and and i you know i wasn't terribly good at it like i wasn't one of the big guys and it wasn't until like the world of question games in 2018 was probably the the, the two highest scores i've ever had and a lot of that had to do with my a different mental outlook. Jane Pike, your friend, your friend and mine, Jane Pike, she helped us. Um, she helped us that year with the mental side of it, and so I really got the mental side of it sorted. And, and at the World of Question Games, I was like, yeah, I could play with the big boys, but now that I've realised I could, I, I don't feel the need to anymore. So it was kind of a kind of a weird point to where you know there's something you've been passionate about for you know twenty something years. 28 years or something or other and it's you know it's it's all you thought about for that long and then you get not that i mastered it by any means but you get to where you you get the at least for me the mental side of it sorted out and uh yeah i just realized that no it's it's i'm not that interested anymore it's an interesting thing isn't it what Mm. do you what would you say were some of the factors in that process of sort of coming to that point and realizing that, um, you know, it had been a passion, but it, it wasn't going to continue to be the same, same level of passion in that regard. Well, yeah, good, good question. I would say, you know, I'd, you know, because I'd been, you know, I was, I was always, I'll tell you what, I started out looking into the whole horsemanship side of things only as a way to train the young reining horses better getting their minds better so that they could be a running horse. And, and I think that went on for a long time, learning better horsemanship to get better results. But yeah. then at some point in time, you start to understand that a lot of the, a lot of the problems we have with horses is because they are concerned about things. They have some anxiety about stuff, you know, whether it's outward anxiety or it's, it's kind of a freezy brace type thing and so you learn more techniques how to learn how to get rid of their anxiety initially because you want to get rid of anxiety because i want something out of it yeah then after a while you just get to the point to where i don't like to see a a horse with anxiety i don't like to see a horse feel that way right and And so the so now i'm doing it because I don't want the horses to feel that way rather than doing it because I don't want the horses to feel that way because I can't get what I want out of the horse. And so, yeah, so that was kind of the, you know, how, how the horsemanship side of it, the me side of it, you know, I'd not, some people show better than they train. Some people train better than they show. Some people, the superstars can do both. And um, for me, I always trained better than I showed. I didn't, you know, didn't, didn't show, um, you know, if you're going to put it in a balance, I didn't show as well as I trained. And, you know, I, looking back now, that's just because, you know, my mind when I went in the show ring was, you know, what do they think? What are the, you know, I just, you, I, I wasn't right there. And, and all the stuff that Jane did with us leading up to the water question game, she did quite a bit of mental coaching with us. And when we went to the world of question games in 2018, the Jane came with us and um, the first go round or the, it's not really go round, but the, the first time you compete is the, the team competition. So everybody competes and a, 
everybody on the team, they had their scores up and that's how they figure out the, the right. medals, you know, the gold, silver and bronze medal on the, for the teams. But then the top 20 of those are going to go to the individual finals and that's for the individual medals. Well, they take the top 15 out of the, the team competition. They go straight to the finals and then they take 16 to 35 and they go to a semifinals. And the top five out of those go to the finals to make out the 20. And I made it back to the semifinals in 35th. I was in last place and Robin was about 33rd or something like that, which we never thought that was ever going to happen yeah. going there. But we go there and, and when I competed, I, um, it was just surreal. Like I've never been that focused. I've never been that in the zone. Time slowed down. I'm not nervous. I'm not, I'm, I'm just right. There's me and my horse and we're just right there at the world of question games, you know, your ass cheeks are supposed to be clean, pretty tight shut there, you know, and I came out of there and I was like, that was kind of surreal. And then, uh, so we make back for the, the consolation final, whatever it's called. And so we go in there. I'm three points higher than I was the first time. And the first time I was good. Um, and then Robin comes back and she's two and a half points high. And we both had the same experience. Like it was surreal. It was just, we're both so in the zone. No, not nervous, not concerned in the flow state. It was, it was crazy. And uh, it really had a lot to do with stuff that Jane did for us. I mean, she's a miracle worker, but partway during the year, Jane, we did a bit of a zoom call with her and she asked us a number of questions and looking back now, they were like, um, questions about your limiting self-beliefs really that at the time i wasn't really aware of that's what she was asking and so she made us an audio to listen to one for me one for robin two different ones and she said you gotta to listen to it with stereo headphones don't know why but you gotta to listen to it with stereo headphones and so i start i get it one day and i start playing it and it looks like it's about 35 minutes long for the first 10 minutes it's just jane chatting away same jane in both ears chatting away but about 10 minutes in this jane keeps talking and this, another Jane shows up here and she's having a completely different conversation. And you've been around Jane. Can you imagine talking to two Janes at the same time? <laughs> she's pretty high energy. Um, and we're supposed to listen to it as much as we could. Okay. Not contemplated on it or anything. Just listen to it. Yeah. And so we did that. And uh, so after the first, well, after the first round at the World of Question Games, like I, I was kind of half stunned because it was, completely different than any experience I'd ever had competing before ever, even in a small show. And then same thing in the second round, something was just completely different. So focused, so in the zone, so relaxed. And then I, um, after it was all over, I thought, I know what was different. It wasn't what was there. It was what wasn't there. I said, you know, I realized that, you know, like if it's like, say the, air conditioners on or whatever you don't even know it's on until it goes off and then it's obviously it was there yeah. what i realized was that like every time i've competed you know i'm never going to compete a horse that's not prepared it's not ready i know what the horse can do i know what i can do so i've never consciously been thinking this isn't going to work but what i realized was missing at the world of question games was i just realized that i'd always had this voice in the back of my head going who do you think you are you suck you're not good enough to do this what do you think it's always been there and I've never known it's been there because it's like subconscious. And so that thing that Jane did for us is a, like a hypno hypnosis tape and the, and the, you can only listen to one of those voices at a time. 
Yeah. And you can consciously listen to one, but the other one's getting in your subconscious. And it was, yeah, it was completely black and white, different experience than I'd ever had. And it, like I said, it wasn't until that voice wasn't there that I actually realized that that wasn't there. And that was the thing that was holding me back. Um, and so, but yeah, like I said, <laughs> I discovered it a bit too late or whatever. Or I don't think, I don't think it's too late because I don't judge, you know, how this journey's gone. I think I'm, I think I'm finally on the path now that I was supposed to be on and all that stuff was stuff that I had to do to figure out that it wasn't what I thought, you know, what I thought I wanted to do wasn't really what I was here for. That is so interesting. That is quite a, quite a shift. Oh yeah, it was crazy. I'll be. Would you say that there's one horse that stands out in your memory that you'll never forget? Uh, yeah, it's not really my memory. He's out in my paddock. <laughs> so about this whole crazy recent journey of mine started about six years ago. Robin bought a, a new reigning horse. Um, and, you know, we had a pretty limited budget. And a friend of mine from Australia, Martin Larkin, he's one of the best reigners in the world. Uh, he had these two different horses for sale in Texas. And one was a big stout you know, big, pretty stout gelding, but he's kind of a bit of a goma, you know. And uh, this other one was this little athletic, springy athletic sort of a little horse. Um, same price, but they can't get him shown because he spooks at the judges' chairs or stuff, you know. Um, and so, you know, Martin's amazing reigning trainer, but as far as the, you know, like, the problem solving the other stuff outside of there, he doesn't put a lot of time into, not that I, anybody expects him to, but um, so, and I've been around Martin a lot and I know he doesn't do a lot with that sort of stuff. So when this suit so horse is for sale and he's really cool, but the only reason he's not worth a whole lot more money is because he does some weird things like spooks and shit. I'm like, well, I can fix that. So yeah. I said to Robin, buy that one. And so we bring him home and, you know, at the time I'm traveling around the world doing clinics and it works. And so obviously it's right. And uh, I, we get that horse home and he has a, I mean, uh, the spooking at different things, that wasn't a big deal. That wasn't hard to work through. But he has an underlying level of anxiety that, that resu results in tension, in tension, sorry, um, that gets in his way competing. Like he's fully functional horse. It's not like you can't do anything with him, but he's, so it turns out he had a level of shutdown, what it was that I had never encountered before and nothing I did helped. You know, I wasn't trying to fix him. I was trying to help him. Maybe at that time I was thinking I was trying to fix him. These days I like to use the word help, but, but I couldn't, I couldn't solve that with anything I'd been doing before. And so I'm, you know, I'm not going to try to, force anything so i i stopped trying to change him left him be who he was and uh but it just i guess that opened my mind to what else is out there because you know i'd got i got to a point where my horsemanship was was pretty good um but it was all about techniques and stuff and uh yeah and so yeah, nothing I'd, I'd ever seen 
and I don't know, I'd had ever tried work with him. So I just left him alone for a while. But then I, I started, um, I'm just thinking about things a bit differently. And, and, uh, the whole catalyst from that came to a head when I was, I did a clinic in Texas in 2017, I think. So it'd be four years ago. And there was a Mustang there and it was a three day clinic. And uh, this Mustang came to the clinic. He's been nine year old. He's been out of the wild for six years. He's been ridden. They've tried ridden him. He does most things pretty good, but every once in a while he bolts randomly and they can't, you know, the trainer that has him, the owner had him at the clinic, but the trainer was there too. And she's pretty handy. And I said to her, so what causes the bolt? Like she said, I don't know. I said, well, we can't help him with the bolt until we know what the cause is. Cause the bolt's not the problem. There's something. And she said, it's, it's really random. Like it's really odd. Random. We can't, can't put our finger on it. And so, okay. I have no idea. Now the, you know, at the time I was having a morning group and an afternoon group in clinics and he was in the morning group. And I don't remember the first day, but the second day she was doing some groundwork with him and she'd been, you know, walking down one side of him, just asking him to step over behind. And she said, Hey, I got a question. He's starting to block me out. What, what should I do? And I said, Oh, well, let me have a look. So I walked over and I took the lead rope. And at this point in time, if a horse, if I, you know, this microphone is a horse and I want to walk down his near side and he turns his head and blocks me out. I would think, well, he's trying to keep me in his right eye. So I would just reach under his jaw and go, excuse me. Mm -hmm. Now I'm in his left eye. And most importantly, I didn't move my feet because if he moves my feet, then I, I lose and he wins, which is the way I was looking at things at the time. Uh, funny how you look back on that. So I was never a beat him around the head, jerk him sort of thing. But if he said, I don't want you down there. I say, excuse me, allow me. Oh, see, I'm on this side now. I won. Um, but I didn't do that. There's some of this stuff I've been reading. I, so he, he, I said, let me try. I went to walk down the side of him and he turned his head and blocked me out. And so I just stepped back to where I was. And I basically said, see your concern. I don't know what, why that concerns you, but I, I see your concern. And then I waited for you know, a minute for him to give me some indication he felt better about that you know maybe he started blinking again his ears started moving I, I can't remember what it was but he gave me you know he gave me some indication he'd kind of come back down a little bit i don't think he licked and chewed but you know possibly started blinking or ears moved or something then i tried it again he blocked me out i stepped back and this went on for five or ten minutes and then after five or ten minutes i go to walk down there and he lets me walk down his side doesn't block me at all and i haven't corrected anything i haven't touched him and i'm thinking He's probably sick of the whole disengaging thing. They've probably been overdoing the disengaging. That's what I think is going on. But I thought, well, I'm not even going to do that. What I'm going to do, he's been ridden for six years. I'm sure I can touch him. <laughs> so I reached out to put my hand just on his neck, just in front of his wither. And his head raised up about that far, as I did. And so instead of staying there, I just took my hand back and stepped back. Basically said, oh, that concerns you too. And then I waited for him to relax a bit. And so we went back and forth here till I could touch him without him showing any sign of concern. Then I go back to the front walk down the side he doesn't block me out i touch him he doesn't change his demeanor at all he doesn't freeze like he's still present yeah i'm like okay what i'm going to do now is ask him to step over behind and then i'll go back to the front and if the stepping over behind is the problem he'll block me out again so i asked him to step over behind which he does quite well because he'd been taught really well too so i go back to the front and i walk down the side he doesn't block me out so i thought i'll try it again so i have him step over behind and go back to the front 
walked down the side. He doesn't block me on. I go back and forth and that ain't broke anymore. I don't know what I did, but it's not broke anymore. So I handed him to attend the lead rope to Hannah, his owner. And she said, what do you want me to do? And I said, I don't know. Just hang on to him for a bit. Just stand there with him. And I went to help somebody else. And about 10 minutes later, this collective <gasps> from everybody at the clinic. And I turn and I look and this horse has buckled at his knees and just <clears throat> gone down on his belly. And he's sound asleep with his nose straight in the dirt, snoring little dust clouds. And then he has a roll, gets up, shakes, and then boom, down he goes again. And I said to Hannah, you know, as you'd know, that's not unusual unless it is. And I said, so is that normal? She said, I've seen him lay down once in six years. Wow. He was way out in the pasture when I showed up and he jumped up again, but no, I've never seen him lay down. I'm like, huh. And this was about 10.30 in the morning and he slept till lunchtime, didn't move a muscle. We had to wake him up to put him away until so the other group could come in. So the third morning of the clinic, she comes in and she said, what do you want me to do? I said, let's just stand around with him and see what he does. And so she stood there for a while, about 20 minutes later, boom, down he goes again, slept for four hours to lunchtime, didn't move a muscle, horses cantering past him, loudspeaker, you name it, didn't move a muscle, was unconscious. And so I knew that that was unusual for that horse. And there, there was a big change in that horse. I wasn't sure how big a change it was, but I knew there was quite a big change in that horse. And I didn't do anything to him i the only thing i did was communicate my awareness of his concern i didn't ask anything of him in the solving of the issue i mean it asked him to step out behind but yeah but that wasn't part of the issue um and i came home from there and i thought well that's interesting about that so i started looking up sleeping habits of horses and stuff and you know i knew horses could sleep standing up as well as laying down but i didn't realize that they need to lay down to get rem sleep and they need to have i think it's 30 to 40 minutes of rem sleep a day not all at once but they need to be laying down to do it now we don't know with horses we can't ask them how do you feel if you don't get enough rem sleep but we do know with humans that if you don't get enough rem sleep you're either irritable or anxious mm. um that was 2000 early 2017 so four and a half years ago he has not bolted since the random bolting issue went away yeah. just from that. And so that was the, you know, that was the wake up call I needed to where like, holy cow, it's not all about training horses. There's the, you know, there's the interaction part. And another thing actually happened at Equidays. Oh, possibly that year, probably the, in the next year, maybe, maybe 2018. Um, you know, you've been equidated, you know, the whole setup of it. So they got the night show on the Saturday night. And for some reason they'd scheduled Dan Steers' last demo over in one of them other outside arenas at, you know, uh, four o'clock. So it's from four o'clock to five 30. The night show starts at six o'clock and he's preparing two Roman riding horses that aren't his. <laughs> and so he said, Hey, can you, can you go and do my demo for me? I'm like, okay. So I go over and, and do his demo and, uh, they the, the the demo is called problem solving under saddle this is dan steers is problem solving under saddle demo so i get out of there and I tell the crowd i hate to break it to you but you don't have dan steers you got me sorry and oh, i don't even think we have a horse what are we going to do and then this lady shows up leading this little horse on a halter and lead rabbit. she says oh this is the horse for the demo i'm like well it's supposed to be problem solving under saddle i said uh this horse ever been ridden bareback 
And she says, yeah, he's only been ridden bareback. I'm like, okay, well, I just threw the lead rope over, tied that off, and I think I'm going to get on, and whatever problem he has, I'm going to pretend it's under saddle. It's just not under saddle. And I swing a leg over him, and he takes off bucking down that arena. Um, I grab a hold of a handful of mane and bounce, bounce, and I just slowly reach down and kind of get a bit of a bend in his body and let him kind of arc around, and then he kind of comes to a stop, and I'm still in the middle of him. I'm like, well, okay, I think we found our problem. And then I'm, I'm sitting on him talking, and then I guess he walks off. And when he walks off, I, got, I had bent him around to the left when he was bucking. He walks off, and I kind of reach down my right run and just take that run out to the side. And he stops, like shoves both front feet in the ground, pulls his head to the left, pulls the head twice. And when I don't, I don't pull hard, I just don't let go. He stomps the ground twice with his front foot. And when I don't let go, he rears up. <laughs> so obviously this horse knows absolutely nothing okay and so i'm like okay here's our problem he doesn't bend to the right i'm glad i bent him to the left when he was bucking you know so i said i'm gonna pick up in this rain now look his head goes to the left he pulls on me twice and that doesn't work he stomps his foot twice and then he rears up and i'm just gonna wait here and when he comes down and his head goes half an inch to the right i'm gonna let go which i do so i spend the rest of the whole thing getting to racket walk along just pick up in that right rein, and he just bends and goes to the right thank you very much ladies and gentlemen so you at the beer tent sort of thing so i go inside for the um night show and lindley comes up and says hey can you can you judge they've got this um uh they've got this some sort of an obstacle course you know challengey thing can you can you judge it with vicky wilson and, and dan i'm like sure no worries so vicky and i got a table in the vicky and dan and i got a table in the arena and you know, they start putting out obstacles and then kids kind of come in on these horses and do these little freestyle things. And then they pull all those out and they put a new one in there. So about the third or fourth one in, they put all these obstacles. And one of them is like this balance beam. So it's about 15 feet long, you know, four meters long. And it's only about a horse's hoof wide. It's maybe a little wider than that, but it's not very wide at all. And it's just on the ground, you know. Anyway, this little girl comes in on this little Kamanoa bareback in a halter and she's cruising around here and doing this and doing that. And all of a sudden I realized that's the horse I rode this afternoon. <laughs> and she looks like she's come off an obstacle and she's going to go around to the right. And she's going to go up to this balance beam thingy. And she's going to do a right turn to get lined up for this balance beam thing. And I said to Vicky Wilson, I bet you 20 bucks. It doesn't go over it. She comes around the corner, goes up this thing plats its feet like this and walks across the balance beam i'm like what and then she does some more stuff and then she gets off and now it's at liberty beside her and she runs along and then they're heading back towards the balance beam and i said to vicky double or nothing it's not going to go across the balance beam it goes across the balance beam and after that i'm thinking how the hell does that happen i mean i rode that horse it doesn't know anything and then all of a sudden Yes, but it's owned by a 10-year-old girl. And what do 10-year-old girls do with their horses? They hang out with them. They have a relationship. They have, they have no process, but they've got this thing going on. And I came home and I actually told that story on YouTube. I made a YouTube video about it. I've got pictures of on that YouTube video of the little pony having the bucking down the arena. And that was like, that's a part of it too. You know, and, and it's what you get away from or what I got away from. You know, as a kid, you spend all time with your horses and ride them all over the place. And we didn't know how to train horses. They just do what you ask. And then I came over here and got into 
into horse trainer mode and yeah. you know training horses for the pubbing and training horses training horses and um yeah it was that horse that the reigning horse that we bought that that kind of showed me that you know it's it's, it's almost like there's an old ray hunt or tom Dorrance saying about mules they say you know you have to treat a mule like you should treat a horse meaning you don't have to treat a horse like that because a lot of them will put up with it yeah um and so it was kind of like that and so i um yeah that horse we still have him here and He'll always have a place here. I've actually just started back riding him. So it's been five years basically since we've been riding him. Yeah. Maybe four years. And I've started back riding him and I've waited this long because I wanted to have a really good setup in my mind of how I was going to go about this because he's so, you know, the reason he's shut down is because he's very, very timid, very, very obedient. And he was trained by some really good reigning trainers who said, you got to do it like this and nothing else. And he found the place to stay out to of make trouble. everything yeah to stay out of trouble sort of thing um and he can tend to just kind of go into that space really really easy if you think you're asking if he thinks you're asking him for almost asking him for anything on the saddle and so it's taken me this long to figure out what i'm going to do to get going again and i've just started cantering on him i mean he's obedient and like there's not like there's any behavioral problems i'm just trying to keep his mind on the outside like this rather than going oh yeah i need to I need to, and you know, he always used to go around, even on a totally loose rein, like with his head behind the vertical, like this is how I'm supposed to carry myself. And since I've been back riding him and I've never seen him do it before, he's starting to stretch his neck down and forward and telescope his nose out and, and trot and canter around with his nose out like that. And it's like, you know, you can't push that nose out there. Um, and yeah, I'm, so I'm, I'm taking it slow. You know, I've probably been riding him a month and the first, week was sitting on him at a standstill yeah um might not it might have been the first two weeks sitting him at a standstill um and i've been you know i've been cantering him loping for maybe a week and uh yeah I, I i it's not going backwards i'm not he's not regressing i'm like yeah i think i finally but i think even a year ago i wouldn't have had the the start on him i actually had a had a, a tennessee walking horse at a clinic here a little while ago that had been quite shut down and we worked through some stuff on the ground but when i got him under saddle i went i know what i'm going to do with this one and i did it and it worked and that was the the thing to me say okay now that's what you needed for sherlock you're ready now you can go back to riding sherlock and and what it was was just sitting on him and not asking for anything but trying to communicate your awareness of his awareness and that was that was the key and it's the same thing with sherlock you know when i first got on him you could see him kind of go okay what are you going to ask me to do he didn't ask him to do anything but if he you know if something caught his attention and he pricked an ear i might just reach up and scratch him on the neck on the other side when he flicked that ear i'd stop and that was all we did for a week maybe two was just sit on him and let him know that i'm not going number one i'm not going to ask for anything but number two is I'm very, I'm very connected to you. I, 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 I know where your mind is at all times, not trying to control your mind by any means, but I know where it is. And then we started, I started, well, I went away for, where did I go? I went to a horse show. So Kendall, the girl from Colorado that worked for us, I had her do it for probably a week um, while I was gone. But the next step was I'm going to pick up on one rein, just out to the side. And if he did 
anything, I was going to let the rain go, even if it was pulled the other way. So that was the next bit. Um, you know, if you flicked an ear one way or the other, it doesn't necessarily have to be on me. Anything drop that rain to say, I'm aware that you just did something. And it's not, might not necessarily what we were asking for. And then after a week of that, then you could pick up. And as you picked up, his thoughts came and he was just like soft right there. Soft, like reaching around, not obediently doing it, but just reaching around there. And that was the start of the whole thing. And, and yeah, I'm, I'm pretty excited about how it's going, actually. That is really cool. It reminds me of a, of a horse that I worked with quite a number of years ago. It must have been within the first couple of years that I'd moved down here to New Zealand. I had a client with a, oh, maybe a four or five-year-old horse that she'd got. It was, he was a quarter horse and had done some Western pleasure, I think it was. And he was really well-schooled in it. And she was looking for something that had kind of been there done that and was was quiet and and biddable and stuff so they seemed to be a pretty good match and she got along pretty well with them well i don't know i worked with her for a little bit and she she had some good understanding around horsemanship and and it must have been a year or two down the road and i heard from her and she said he started to get spooky and he's he's just acting weird and you know i don't don't know what the deal is so we had a couple of lessons and come to find out you know because she had been working with him in an approach that let him know that she cared about, you know, cared about what he thought and how he felt about things and that he had an opinion that mattered and, and she wanted him to be a part of what they were doing. He suddenly came awake and he had been drilled on and, and schooled on and, you know, shown to the point that, like you say, there's an element of shutdown in there that uh, he was very obedient, but he wasn't, he wasn't fully, you know, there, he wasn't fully okay with it all. He just shut it all down and, and, and shut things out. And so she kind of got her confidence thrown a little bit there for, for a while. Cause he started waking up and saying, well, I'm actually not okay with some of this, you know? And so it was kind of a, an interesting journey for me to get in on with her and, and sort of help her really build his confidence because when he had appeared confident, he was actually just shut down. Right. Well, the thing, yeah, that, I mean, that's, and that's how it goes with all of them. All the humans or horses that were shut down. You know, you think about if this is, this is peaceful, this is mentally healthy and below that is anxious. Like you're worried about a lot of stuff below that is shut down mm -hmm. because you have so much anxiety. It's overwhelming and you cannot fix it. So you make it go away. So shut down is actually a worse place. It's more anxiety than anxious. You know, it's the anxiety so bad, I can't handle it. So I'm going to make it go away. That's so that's as far as relative relativity, but as far as living there, if you want to be anxious or shut down, shut down is a much better place to be. Because you don't know when you're shut down, you don't know you're shut down. And I mean, this whole journey led to me to this horse led me to figure out I've been shut down most of my life. So I've been unraveling that. And that we're all mammals, horses and us are mammals. And it's, it's the same thing that the mammalian nervous system is the same thing. Yeah. And, you know, when you are, when you shut down, you don't know you're shut down. I remember my son, Tyler, you met my son, Tyler yeah. last year, yeah. or year before. 
uh, we were going to Africa a few years ago and I started looking up YouTube videos of different animals and learning about what I might see. And I remember seeing a video of a wildebeest cow like laying on a belly with her legs tucked up underneath her with a lion eating her alive, tearing chunks off the back end of it. And she's just sitting there. And when he would tear a chunk off her head would wiggle like this, but that's all that would happen. Like I guarantee you, She's quite happy to be shut down. She's not thinking, oh, I wish I wasn't so shut down so I could feel this lion tearing me to pieces. You know what I mean? So shutdown's not a bad place to be. And when you, but when you come out of shutdown, you don't come from shutdown to peaceful. You come from shutdown to anxious. Yeah. And that is when they're getting better. And that's when we're getting better. I'm, I'm going to have to go through that here pretty soon, I think, um, with me. Uh, but what people have to realize is that's, that's good. You know, you, that's good that they're spooking now and you may have to, you know, change some of your plans and go, oh, I can't just go out trekking all the time or whatever, because, you know, you're going to have to, to start to modify the surroundings a bit so that they don't go over threshold and get too concerned about stuff. But you do want to expand that window of tolerance a little bit. And that's what you did. You helped that horse get some confidence and, but that's, that's, I mean, I, you know, I, I've, I've really got like a solid thing in my head now about shutdown horses because it, you know, so many of them are, and, you know, uh, a lot of times they appear to be lazy mm, yeah. and, you know, a lot of times when they are lazy, then there's more pressure used to teach them how to not be lazy, but more pressure doesn't necessarily work. Because when, they, when you are shut down, depending on the level of shutdown you're in, but you lose sensitivity in your body. I mean, that wildebeest cow was not concerned about that lion chewing holes in the backside because she couldn't feel it. And so horses that are shut down, they're just, they're just not in touch with their body. Mm. And more pressure on their body doesn't necessarily help. And, but the thing you have to remember is, the reason they shut down is because they couldn't handle what was happening. And it doesn't have to, this doesn't mean anybody was nasty by any means. Sure. They couldn't handle what was happening, which means they are very sensitive. To me, the shutdown horses are really sensitive. That's why they shut down. If you get a horse that's shut down, you're like, oh, well, this one's really sensitive because if it wasn't this sensitive, he wouldn't have shut down. He'd have just been anxious. Yeah. Does that, does that make sense there? So, yeah. yeah. So the, the good news is that the, the shutdown horses and the lazy horses are not lazy and they're not, you know, um, and they're actually quite sensitive. The bad news is you've got to go through being quite anxious. They've got to go through being quite anxious before they come out the other side, but you do have to realize it's, it's a good thing when they start getting all spooky and stuff like just riding Sherlock here around, like, and I'm just riding him in the arena. I'm not steering him. I'm not asking him to go anywhere or do anything. It's just go forward and then just let him trickle back down if he wants to. Like his ears are up and there's things in the arena he's looking at and like he feels like he he's almost going to explode a little bit. Yeah. Which for that horse is good. Like yeah. he he is probably the most talented running horse we have or have had but you just couldn't get that talent out of him because of the tension. I don't know if I'd ever go have him go back to doing it, but like he feels like right now he's all that, that athletic ability you got is available, That's but that'd be, 
if I was going to do that, that would be a long way, way, way. Because what I don't want to do with him is go, okay, you've been good now. Let's do that other stuff. Like he had that drilled in him for years. And I, I, I want to, what I really want to do is do something with him that um, where he has to think out there and not back here. So maybe like the, the cowboy challenge things, yeah. you know, there's an obstacle. There's a reason to stop. There's a reason to turn might work cows on him. There's a reason to stop reason to turn. Absolutely. And if I do that, I won't, you know, I want him to work cows the way he wants to work cows. There won't be a whole lot of, you know, got to, got to hold this bit here. Cause I think if I do much of that, he can kind of go, oh, not this again. So, you know, the cow working is not because I want him to work a cow. Well, I want to be able to ride him around, ask him to do things and have a reason for him to do it and have him stay up. Yeah. Up yeah, absolutely. The cow work provides such a great purpose that you can share with right. him and yeah. can really, really enjoy. Uh, he may, you know, he may or may not enjoy obstacles depending on, you know, cause he's so sensitive, but I bet you he could get into some real low level, just basic tracking and, and little sorting jobs and stuff like oh, that. Oh, you know, we, a friend of mine trains cow horses and we took him over there back when we were still riding him a few years ago. And he's quite cowy. Like he's, he's a very well-bred rainer, but it's the, the, the line of the rainers that came from cutters not that long ago. Yeah. So yeah, I imagine he, he, he's like, he was even, even when he was shut down, he was still half interested in them. So I think he'd be really interested now, but uh, yeah, that the, the cow working will not be for, for me. Like I wanted to work the cow good. The cow work is just going to be for him. Yeah. But um, you, you said a minute ago, you said the word, you know, it gives him a good purpose. And that's the thing with say the raining is to the horse. There is no purpose. It's just, it's just abject obedience. And you know, for a long time, I think I thought that's cool because not everybody can get that much obedience out of a horse. So if you, you know, if you can get an obedience, you're obviously better than this guy who can't get the obedience out of the horse sort of thing. And, and I, and I think there is a, you know, it's not nothing against the running. I think there is a way to do it, but I don't, there's a way to do it and not have them like that. But I don't think you're going to beat the big guys i mean compete to compete at that level you know it's just it's like these days uh on netflix there is a special about you ever watch the olympics some yeah and the olympic athletes they're amazing that's good oh they're such good people yeah 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 there's an, a special on netflix about depression in athletes olympic athletes because of all the pressure all the pressure from the coaches and the media and, and all that pressure to compete at that high level. Yeah. It might look good on the outside, but your soul's not doing so good. And I think it's a bit, I think to get any, any body, horse, person, whatever, to be maxed out, like to physically max out to a certain level. It's, I don't, I don't think they can, be mentally good and do that. I mean, you, you see it with lots of, you know, all sorts of athletes and things like that. You know, they're good at that, but on the other, on the flip side of it, there's, there's all sorts of yeah. human issues, human issues, you know, mental health issues, stuff like that. Absolutely. Yeah. I, uh, I would have to agree with you. I mean, I'm not, I, I've not really, competed with horses. I think that Kaimanawa stallion challenge that you helped judge um, probably sums up my competition career with, with horses, but I always do tell people if 
if I was to com compete, it would be in a way that would just sort of be part of assessing where I'm at with my horse and what I can do and, and, and how well, how well we can go together and go do something. And, and it wouldn't be something that maybe even we had practiced or even done before, but like you say, you're not going to compete at a high level in reigning by approaching it that way. But if I've got my horse going pretty good, then I I'd like to think that I could go in and ride a little reigning pattern. And I might not ever, ever even have ridden that exact pattern, you know, or practiced it. But if me and him are on the same page and we're thinking the same thing and we kind of both feel good about being there, then just go and sort of see what we can do. And that, and like, like you say, that's, you're not going to be competitive doing that, but that would be the way I would, I would approach competition. I encourage people to think of it in, in that, in that way. Yeah. That's a, that's a really good way of putting it. Just checking way where you and him are at, at that point in time. Yeah. Yeah. And because like you say, I, I think, I think I agree with you, you know, the, the high level in a lot of competitions is it's not sustainable for most horses. There's some that, that can do it for a period of time or what have you, but whether it's physical or whether it's mental, there's only so much in there, you know, and, and, or, or how a certain amount of time that they can take that level of pressure and, and stress. And that's what the judges are looking for. I mean, that, that kind of level of performance and, and athleticism is what the judges are looking for. So it's the only way to be competitive when you're doing it, but uh, right. yeah. And, and, and for me, no judgments and, you know, I was really into it for a long time, but yeah, no judgment. Anybody who, who sure. wants to do that, we're all living our own journey sort of thing. But yeah, these days I'm just, you know, like I said, my wife's still competing, but her horses can compete pretty high levels and, and not be terribly concerned. She's actually got a, her new little horse. He's a five-year-old stud. We got him last year. Now he must, yeah, I think he was four then. Um, he was very shut down. He's deaf. Um, and he was very shut down because he was a stallion. And if you've got a stallion at a training facility and the groom has got to go and get him out and the stall cleaner's got to go in there, they basically want him just don't look at me and I won't look at you sort of thing. And he would just stand there like this. And like, there was no interaction whatsoever. He was just very functional, hop on, ride him around, very functional, good little motorbike sort of thing. And so to get him out of his, his shell, we started hand feeding him treats, like shoving them in his mouth until he was started to like, oh, what, you know, because I, I know that you can't train the shutdown out of him these days. And that was the start of it. And uh, we've had him since last September and we've been to a few shows and just recently, about two weeks ago, we went to a show in LA and it's the first time Robin's actually, he was ready to go show like where you could prepare him and get everything lined out. And she, she won everything there, but the other shows we've been to, we've been to a show for a week and not got to do a running maneuver all week because now that he's out of his shell, he sees everything and at home, he's kind of familiar with it. Yeah. But there, and, and it's, it's weird. I mean, he, I'm the guy that helps people with spooky horses and stuff, but he just loses his mind, like completely loses his mind. So he, I'm like, we went to a big horse show in Arizona in January, February. And uh, the first day we get there, I'm leading him down to one of the arenas. And I'm in the middle of like, there's 
golf carts and there's kids on bicycles and there's horses. I mean, there's, I don't know, several thousand horses at this horse show. It's a big horse show. And here I am, the you know, the horsemanshipy guy who still does a little bit of running with his wife sort of thing, and I'm leading this horse along. And all of a sudden he sees whatever it is he sees because they still can't figure out what sets him off. <laughs> and all of a sudden he starts galloping sideways around me. And I, you know, he's pretty soft, so I can just pick up on that rope and his head comes to me, but he's just galloping sideways, sparks, it's on pavement, sparks coming off his shoes, running around, and there's nothing I can do. And so it's a spectacle. Well, it's not just a spectacle then, it's a spectacle every day for a week. <laughs> but I don't care. That's what they think of me and this little horse running around is not my problem anymore. It used to be, yeah. it's not anymore. And, uh, Yes, yeah, so he's and we, he's, a, he's a bloody superstar. He's an amazing little horse, and I still haven't got all the, the stuff sorted out. But that show down there was. He seems to be concerned when there's tall buildings and things like that. It was things over his head, and I noticed like in his stall when I go to put his rug on, he's put his cover on. If I pick it up too high, he will start freaking the hell out. I like to put it over his head, he will start freaking the hell out. So. I'm thinking one of the things was someone's flogged him with a, you know, like went to put a blanket on him or something rather than he spooked and they've lost their temper and flogged him around a stall or something. I'm not sure, but things up high that, especially things that flap concern him. And so when if you're at a horse show that you have that stuff, well, you're in trouble, you know, <laughs> but anyway, you know, he's, he's coming out of his shell and, you know, he's only young. He's got plenty of life left. I'm not in a, in a big hurry, but uh, yeah, he's a cool little horse. That's awesome. That is so cool. Well, I've got one more question for you and then we can uh, uh, sort of get your details and you can tell us a little bit more about uh, your business and what you, what you offer. But um, here's, here's a question for you. How would you, how would you like to be remembered or what, what legacy are you working on? Uh, I'm working on it. I'm, I'm pretty, I've, I've finally got to the point where I'm 50 something now, <laughs> forget how old I am. And I think I figured out what my purpose in life is. It just seems to be coming more and more evident, but it's been around for a few years, but it is helping people with themselves through the horses. You know, it's, it's, it's the, the, yeah, as you know, the horses are so much a, a reflection of what's going on with us and for the most part people don't stick their hand up and say hey i want to i want to make me better i want to do a lot of inner work you know because that's pretty hard but when you make them aware that that's what's causing their problems with their horses people do anything for their horses they wouldn't do this stuff for their kids or their wives or their parents or their whatever but if i have to do a bit of work on me so i can get along with this horse better yeah i'm I'm going to do it. So I, and I, you know, I've had a bit of a mental health journey in the last few years, you know, that this whole shutdown thing, I found out that I'd been depressed most of my life and didn't know it. Cause if that's the, you know, a lot of people kind of go, you know, I, I kind of feel dull these days, you know, maybe I'm a bit depressed. Well, I'd felt that way for the rest, all of my life. So it's not like I thought there was a different way to be. And so, and it's, you know, I used to, if I'm at a horse expo and someone hands me a horse who's kind of losing his mind a little bit, I used to do something and I could make a difference. But these days, 
some of them are leading the horse around having problems, but they'll hand it to me and those horses just kind of soften and reach out, especially towards my abdomen area. And I'll just kind of rub them and they're like, hey, how's it going? But it's not something I do at the time. It's something to do with the way I'm showing up these days. And so that's, and I've been, you know, in my demos and stuff at Horse Expos the past few years, I've been talking about this quite a bit. And, and the feedback I get from people is telling me that I need to keep doing it. And I'll tell you a story. One of the uh, equidays last time I was there, one of those arenas, you know, when you go and get your mic on, there's a guy in the booth there. Yeah. Yeah. Sound guys. I got a, so I, you know, I talk about what I just talked about in these, um, in these demos quite a bit. And I'd done a few demos in this guy's uh, arena all weekend. And he's, you know, I, I see them every there every year, like, Hey, how's it going? You're back again, sort of thing. Yeah. And Sunday night after the last, yeah, the last one, not last year, the year before, because it was, that was the last one. Um, I got a Facebook message from someone. I have no idea who it is. And I open it up and he says, it's so-and-so I'm the sound guy in the, the booth. And he said, you know, I really appreciate you talking about the stuff you've been talking about the last few days. Because I'd been getting suicidal. I'd had serious thoughts about it. And what you were talking about these past few days has made me decide not to. Wow. And I get, uh, you know, like emails and stuff. I like that quite a bit. And so, yeah, I think that's, I just got to, I got to keep talking about that stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Because I think it, you know, it's a bit more than just horse training and it's, but the, but the thing is it is horse training because, you know, to slow down and listen and that sort of stuff. You know, I think a lot of people are just, we're just so busy in our lives doing stuff and we think we're productive, but really what we're doing is, numbing out on doing stuff because you can't sit and be still. And a lot of this stuff I'm doing with the horses these days, especially the early on stuff is a lot about doing nothing and just being present. And you do that often enough, it changes who you are. Mm, yeah. Yeah. Or makes you aware of things that you weren't aware of. And then you go, Oh, I need some help with this or whatever. But um, yeah, <laughs> a few years ago, three or four years ago now, I, I noticed people crying at clinics a lot. And I know people cry at certain people's clinics, but I'm not much of a yeller and screamer and people didn't normally cry at my clinics, but they'd be standing there with their horse. You know, maybe I asked them to do something. They said, just, just sit down there and just wait for him to have a lick and a chew. I don't care if it takes 15 minutes, just wait for that. Cause I think just asking him to do something like that might cause him to hold on a little bit of tension. Let's wait for him to mentally reset himself. And I'll look at him. I'll grab him. Are you okay? And they go, yeah. And I go, is there something wrong? She goes, oh, well, you know, I was just thinking about something my dad said to me when I was 15 or whatever, you know, because, you know, from what I've read, and it makes sense, rings true to me too, but people don't want to be still because when you are still, you have to sit with yourself. Stuff comes up that you've been stuffing down by 
you know, being on Facebook or drinking or working or working out or eating chocolate, whatever it is your yeah. ism is, it's all a, it's all a, um, you know, it's a numbing out of, it's just staying, doing something so you don't have to, to sit with yourself. And it just seems like the horses, uh, you know, they've led me to get interested in this stuff and work on me. And then as I share the work I've done, people go, oh, well, that rings true to me too. And then they start doing it. And then I get emails that's, you know, I just get them all the time. And it's just, yeah, it's, it's very humbling, I tell you. Um, but yeah, so that, I think that's what my, my, um, you know, reason for being here is it's uh, everything, everything that's happened up to this point in time. And, and like right now, everything's going really well. I've planned none of it. Like I'm not much of a planner, you know, like the, I've never had one. I've never had the self-confidence to plan too much stuff. Cause I'm oh, not for me. You know, I had to have that guy tell me you're good enough to do this for a living sort of thing. But you know, the whole YouTube thing, the whole video subscription thing, the clinics, I didn't decide to do clinics. People said, Hey, I heard you speak the other day and I'll, would you come into a clinic that's how the clinic started and then the podcast thing it's kind of taken off none of this was a, a plan it's just kind of showed up to me from somewhere but yeah just think someone's telling me that this is what i'm supposed to be doing yeah i'd say so i would say so and and i think you're absolutely right the people aspect and and helping helping people is is a huge purpose and certainly leaves a significant legacy that's awesome that's awesome. yeah it's interesting that you know when we live when we moved back to australia i was on the board of reigning australia and there's a big horse expo there called equitana and um at the board meeting they said oh equitana's asked can anybody do a running demo at at Equitana and most of the other board members from Queensland, they're like, you know, 36 hours drive from Equitana. And we were only about eight hours from there. And I said, yeah, I could, I could go down and do it. So when they heard I was coming down for that, they have a cult starting competition, a bit like road to the horse here in America. Yeah. Um, it's called way of the horse. And so they asked me what I do the in arena commentating for that. I'm like, yeah, I can, I can do, I can help you guys out. That's all I was doing was helping them out. And so I was the, not the introductions and stuff type commentator, but the guy on the floor saying, when, well, if you watch what he does here, see how we did it like that. Now watch what he does there. See, that's why it worked. Cause he did what he did a second ago, that sort of thing. And I commentated for three days in front of, I don't know, the place is full when way of the horses on maybe three or four or 5,000 people. And um, just because they needed a hand. Well, after that, people start calling me like, Oh, we love the way you explain stuff. Would you like to do some clinics for us? And I'm like, Oh, I've never really thought of doing clinics, <laughs> but if you want me to, so that's how the clinic started. And then we moved back to the U S and from doing the clinics, I had seen that a lot of people struggle with some simple things with horses, like just simple things like day-to-day -day things, not high level stuff. And so I just thought I want to make some YouTube videos and just show people how some of this little stuff can be quite simple thing, especially things they have, they have trouble with like, you know, worming horses and, you know, just where they get into struggles. Um, and so I started making some YouTube videos and then people wanted more and wanted longer and longer videos. Well, when you first, I don't think it's the same now, but when I first started putting videos on YouTube, you can't put a video longer than 10 minutes on. I guess they don't want, you know, three hours of your cat chasing a laser pointer up and down the hall or something. 
Um, so I couldn't put longer videos on YouTube. So I started up this online subscription thing where it cost me money to upload videos, but I'd charge people to watch them. And it was just this little thing on the side. Anyway, over the years, that thing grew and grew and grew and grew. And that's my main business now. But I wasn't the one who said, you know what? I'm going to start this little, I'm, what I'm going to do is I'm going to make some videos and put them on. It wasn't a, like a business plan. I'm going to put some videos on YouTube and people are going to get interested, but then they won't be able to have the long videos. So I'm going to sell them the long videos. And then, and then, and then I'll be able to give up training horses. Cause I could none of that. I mean, all this stuff has just fallen in my lap. So, um, you know, I'm very blessed and I'm pretty humbled to be put in this position. So I, I kind of, I kind of feel like I've, I don't know, got to do the right thing by the position because I'm, you know, it's not like I ever plan to end up being in this place, and I'm not even sure you can. Mm, um, yeah. You know, it just, I, I don't know, you just, I don't know, you just find out what your purpose is, and then you do it. That's right. Yeah. Sometimes that's easier said than done, but, but there's nothing like knowing what your purpose is and, and doing that. I think that that is, uh, it's huge. It's huge. So where can people find uh, more of what you do? Social media, website? What? Um, well, I have a, the best place to start would be if you want to watch stuff is YouTube. I've got a YouTube channel. I think it's Warwick Schiller Performance Horsemanship. I've got 300 and something videos on there. And it's interesting because I haven't taken many down from old videos. So there's things that I stuff I used to do and there's this and stuff I do these days. And really these days it's more about the relationship stuff. But the thing with what I used to do, you know, I would have, I was kind of the end of the line from a lot of maybe dressage horses or jumping horses or whatever, you know, the trainer can't do whatever. And so, and I would help those horses without being nasty to them. And so it's, it's not, it's not that it was bad. I just feel like for me, the way I go things about now and the way I view the world now, it's better for me. If you're in that place, if you're in a different, different place, what I used to do was fine. So anyway, so I've left up a lot of videos yeah. uh, there for people to look at. Uh, I have a, a website warwickshiller.com and that's where my um, online video library is. Uh, I have a podcast the journey on podcast it's on all the platforms and i've had some amazing guests on there like that that talking to some of those people in that podcast have changed my life like it's 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 amazing i just and once again just these people pop up you know um you i was that that horse show in la we're at a couple of weeks ago there was a lady stalled next to us, probably in her 60s, seemed like a nice lady. I'm chatting to her. We've been chatting for a couple of days and finally said, what do you do? She goes, I'm a screenwriter. I'm like, really? What sort of stuff? She goes, oh, well, mostly animal movies. Like I wrote the screenplay, I, I wrote the screenplay for The Black Stallion, you know, the one with Mickey Rooney in it, White Fang and this and that. And I'm like, really? So how did that come out? So she tells me a story. And there was an article about her in Cowboys and Indians magazine a couple of years ago where the film critic Leonard Moulton called her the accidental screenwriter because she was she thought she was going to be a documentary filmmaker and something happened. Anyway, so I'm like, do you want to be in my podcast? She's like, sure. So that was last week's podcast. But people like that just pop up all the time. But they didn't pop up like that six years ago. And so it's all just happening. But yeah, the podcast is um, pretty cool. And then I have a 
I have a Facebook page, which is Warwick Schiller Performance Horsemanship, and I have a Facebook group, which is Warwick Schiller Performance Horsemanship. And then my profile on Facebook's open, so anybody can see anything to put up there anyway. So I'm not hard to find. Got a weird name too, so there's, it's not like there's two of me around. <laughs> For sure. For sure. Well, Warwick, it's been fantastic catching up with you and hearing a little bit more of your story. I really do appreciate your time. And I know you're a busy man, so I, I do really, really appreciate you taking the time to, to visit with us here today and certainly wish you all the best. No problem. Anything for you, Ben. So, yeah, thanks for having me on here. It's been a blast. Absolutely. We'll talk to you soon. See ya. Well, that's all from us today. Thank you for listening to American Cowboy in New Zealand. If you like this episode, please share and leave your five-star rating or review. Remember, you can find us on social media or our website, truewesthorsemanship.com.